This is our fourth and last session on motivation or enablement or empowering of these two amazing commands from Paul. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, which we argued means regard them as worthy of your service. Not that they may be more famous or more uh, have more ability even, but significant in the sense that you regard them as worthy of your service, which means you're always trying to serve other people, even those who are unworthy in and of themselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Being a person for others is the goal of the Christian life as we follow Jesus. And these are impossible commands for mere fallen human beings like us. We need the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit uses the promises of God. The enabling grace for seeking the good of others, and we've seen these three, and now we're focusing on this one. Contentment as an enabling grace Christ's exaltation as a model for it, short-term loss for long-term gain, and now once more on hoping for reward. We've seen that in both of, in fact, all of these, but focusing on it more clearly now, and then especially with this truth right here, that others be included in the reward that we are seeking. And the reason I'm stressing this is because sometimes when I emphasize the biblical uh, motif of living for great reward that Jesus promises as a motive for seeking the good of others, people say, well, really, that's not love. You're just using other people to get your long-term benefit. And my answer is, among other things, no. I'm not using them to step on them and get beyond them into some reward. I want them, and I'm praying, and I'm working in the hope that they will join me in the reward that I'm seeking. If I had no reward, ultimately, with God, I'd have nothing to offer them. So, Father, as we focus now on this fourth motivating group of texts to live for others, make us this kind of people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start with Jesus in Luke 6.35. Love your enemies. Surely that's what Paul wants us to do when we count others more significant than ourselves and look to the interests of others. It's not just believers. Love your enemies. Do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. So if you paused right there, you'd say, oh, look, see, there's nothing that you should be motivated by in coming back to you. But look at the next phrase. If you love and do good and lend without expecting the rake to come back to your garage and not losing your contentment, if it doesn't, your reward will be great. So he's motivating this kind of lending, this kind of doing good, and this kind of love by saying, you're going to have a great reward. You'll be sons of the Most High, for he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. 
So there's no denying that even though short-term rewards are not to be expected, they may even kill us, long-term reward is great, and that is a necessary and proper motive for loving people. And here's the text I'll put beside it to show how we want others included in it. That's uh, Luke 6.35. I could have said Matthew 5.44, same command. And earlier in Matthew 5.16, it says, Let your light so shine. So shining of light would be loving your enemy, doing good, lending. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. You want them to join you in your great reward. This is your goal. You're not, you're not loving them and letting the light shine with a sense of indifference to them. You're going to lay down your life so that they will join you. That's the goal. And I'm going to say this right here applies to all of the commands and all the promises that Jesus gives us. Here are a few more. Mark 8, 35. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Yes, we will. If we try to live to constantly magne- uh, uh, secure and provide for ourselves in this life and not have a view to others' good and our eternal good— Whoever lives that way um, loses his life. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel, the cause of love, will save it. And that's a motivation to do this. That's the way the argument works. You want to save your life, don't you? Well, then live your life for the sake of the gospel and for my sake. Or... Luke 14, 13, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be, uh, you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. It's just like 635, right? You, you lend, lend expecting nothing in return. And here, they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. It's just totally contrary to Jesus' teaching to say that when you read things like this, you infer, oh, look, there should be no thought of reward. That's wrong. There should be thought of reward, but the reward is God. In the resurrection of the just, we will have God. And if God is merciful, we'll have these people as well. That will enlarge our joy, and that's what we want. Acts 20, 35, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how, it is, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I remember often reading ethics books and articles that say, It's wrong to look to any benefit for yourself when you're doing good to others because that ruins the morality of the act. If that's true, Jesus is a very bad teacher because he says, help the weak. Because Jesus said, it is 
more blessed to you, to you, more blessed, more happy, more satisfying, more contentment, more benefits come to you when you are a giver rather than a receiver. And this giving means here in this life, maximize a life of giving. Be a 2-4, a Philippians 2-4 kind of person. Take thought for the good of others because it is more blessed, more satisfying, more happiness, more satisfaction comes to you when you give your life away, even to the point of death, than when you are always thinking about, I got to receive, I got to receive in this life. You don't have to receive in this life. 2 Corinthians 9, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, be free, be a free, generous giver because, because God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't like it when we give out of a sense of begrudging that there's no joy in it, no benefit from it. God loves a cheerful giver. So, the point here is, all of these acts of giving that are commanded, like love your enemies, do good, lend, all of them are motivated by your reward will be great. And that is not selfish. It's not manipulative. It's not mercenary because you're doing all this light shining before others so that they would see your good works and give glory to your Father. That is, join you in the great reward. A Christian has no desire that he would do good to others and he gets the benefit and they miss out. It is totally contrary to what love is. We do good to others so that both the present good will be enjoyed by them and the future great reward will be enjoyed by them. So here's the summary of these four sessions on motivation for seeking the good of others. Present contentment in Christ frees us to sacrifice for others rather than use them. Christ's example serves to show us that he who humbles himself in service will be exalted. Third, our short-term private comforts are to be sacrificed for others with a view to long-term joy. And finally, Loving others is sustained by the hope of a great reward. And that reward, as we hope and pray, will be increased by their inclusion in it. At least these four motivations are the way that we do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves and let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Oh God, grant me, grant us to be people who shine like lights in the dark sky, as we're going to see in Philippians chapter 2 at the, at the, uh, at near the end. Lord, Lord, grant, I pray, 
that we would be people who live for others and shine like stars in the sky.